Well, welcome everybody. Welcome Mercy Road to worship. If I haven't met you, my name is Mike Lotzer, the lead pastor here, and we're continuing in our series called Identity Issues because we, we all have them. We all wonder, how do I fit? Where do I fit in this story? Who am I? Uh, am I just the sum total of my life experiences? Do, do, does my life matter? Am I an eternal being? These are questions that we all ask, whether we're believers or not. And as believers, we are grounding ourselves in the identity that we find in God's love. That's really what the series is about. We're going to a familiar parable today. It comes from Luke 15. And it's a story not about one son, but two sons of a father. And it's something that I think should be preached, gosh, at least once a year, because it, it, it realigns our thinking on our identity. And we learn in this parable that there's actually two different distinct ways to be your own Lord and Savior. You can achieve that by being really, really bad and rebelling, or actually by being really, really good and trying to put God into your debt. And so we're going to go to the story that is sometimes called the prodigal son, but I would encourage you to make that plural today. If we can get the text on the screen. Uh, just by way of context, uh, the 15th chapter of Luke opens with a description that Jesus is now eating with tax collectors, and tax collectors are not popular people in the first century here. They are seen as uh, people who have betrayed their own race and are on the take of the Roman oppressors, and they are seen as something kind of close to organized crime. And Jesus, expressing the love of the Father, is willing to associate with him. This makes the religious people very upset. So he goes on to tell a series of parables, teaching stories about how God perceives those who are lost, who are far from the knowledge of the love of God, and how God will relentlessly go after people like that. I'm just going to work through this parable Reading from the NIV, Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them? Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. I want to just pause there for a minute. Um, this would have been a radical thing to say to your father because the estate is passed on after the father dies. So it's as if the, the younger son is saying, you know what, dad? I, I'm not even patient enough to wait till you die. I just want your stuff. I don't really care about you. I just want what's coming to me. And in an ancient world where land was the primary um, 401k or um, savings, it would have cost the father a lot. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. Remember, Jesus is telling the story to a bunch of Jewish religious leaders, and they would have been squirming. You, what? This younger son dishonored the father in the most cruel way you could. 
And then he, he went, and wild living is code for prostitutes and all sorts of stuff you're not supposed to do and things you're not supposed to buy. And now he's at the rock bottom, but he's, he doesn't even have the dignity of a good Jewish son to, to stay away from pigs. He's working closely with pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. Let me stop just momentarily. If you go to uh, Iraq or Afghanistan or parts of the Middle East today, a patriarch will still oftentimes dress in flowing robes. Not very practical to run in something that looks like the equivalent of a nightgown, is it? So patriarchs, they did a lot of things. They didn't run anywhere. They still don't. So the image is that the father seeing the son from far away, this dishonorable son that essentially betrayed the father, squandered his life-giving resources, ruined the family name. The father has compassion. Think about that. The, the son hasn't even said anything. He hasn't gone through the whole rehearsed speech yet, but the father is now pulling up his robes and running. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. The, the dad just cuts him off. He interrupts his apology speech. And then he puts the best robe on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The ring would have the family signet. It's the ancient equivalent of a credit card. It means that you have the authority to speak with the power of the patriarch. He's honoring his son. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him, What is going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
it's a powerful story. I, I can imagine the, the look of shock and terror and offense on the religious leaders' faces because they would have understood pretty, pretty quickly that that older brother in the story was meant to be them. And it's not a flattering look, is it? This story redefines a lot of things, uh, and I'd like, in the time we have, just to illuminate a few of those. The first thing I think it redefines is our perception of God. Be honest. Isn't it true that there have been times in your life, maybe years of your life, where you really thought of God as just this angry, angry, disappointed, maybe even violent person? Maybe you understood that God loves you, but it's something like, well, he has to love me. It's like a job description of God, but he doesn't like me. Some of you, that's where you are today, and if that's where you are, let this story push back on that. This patriarch, he runs. He's like the very best kind of father Last night, I woke up, uh, my little girl was four, and I heard her scream. She had a bad dream or something, and I either don't wake up, like I, I slept through a rocket attack once in Iraq. I, I just can sleep very deeply. Or if I do wake up, it's like very um, emotional and like, wait, hey, whoa, what's going on? And I, I ran into her room, and of course she's fine, and the next thing I remember, I, I'm sleeping in her tiny little bed with her, in the most uncomfortable position, and I have a, a, a knot in my neck right now because of that, and I was late to church because of that, and I'd do that again every night if I had to. And you would too, dads in the room. And yet, we're kind of a piece of work, aren't we? I mean, and your dad was kind of a piece of work, if you're honest. Some of us have dad issues, don't we? We... we impose the, the failings of our own father or of ourself as a father, and we kind of overlay that on what God is like, but that's really not a logical thing to do. In our best moments as fathers, we're merely pointing to what God is like all the time. It's a simple redefinition, but God is not an angry judge. God is not just constantly and chronically mad at you, but he is mad about you. He does take sin seriously, but he loves you. He's like a loving father. And I, I suspect there's a few of us that that's really all we came to church to hear. Secondly, the story doesn't just redefine God as a loving father, the story redefines sin. Do you, do you notice the younger brother disobeys in a blatant, bold, barefaced effort to, to control his dad and get his dad's stuff? He said, Dad, I just give me my cut. You know, I know the older brother will get more, the law of primogenitry. In the ancient world, the older brother gets more than the younger brother, but just give me what, what's coming to me now because I, I don't even care about you. I just want your stuff, and I just want to do whatever it is I want to do. And that's kind of obvious, right? I mean, there's a lot of younger brothers out there. And there's a little younger brother in all of us. Every day, we make younger brother decisions where we just say, God, I know I'm supposed to do this, but I'm not going to. I know I'm supposed to let you navigate 
my steps, but I'm going to navigate instead. I, I know you say certain things are wrong, but I'm going to say they're right. And that's what it's like to be a, a younger brother. And eventually he comes to his senses, and hopefully eventually we all come to our senses in our younger brother sin patterns, and we start to realize that what started out as so promising and this would really deliver this lifestyle, these set of decisions, they're not really delivering. In fact, it, it smells a lot closer to a pigsty. And when he comes to his senses, he realizes, you know what? I've re wrecked my relationship with my dad, but maybe I could at least get paid like an hourly rate of a Walmart worker and work for him on his estate. And he goes back. But the older brother's really the more interesting one in the, the story, right? Because in Act 2, you hear a lot about the older brother. And, and if you notice, the older brother is angry at the father's generosity and grace to the younger brother. He's vindictive. He exaggerates uh, his plight. You know, you didn't even give me a goat to, to eat. Not even a goat, Dad. And I'm, I obey you way more than goat obedience. You know, like if anybody should get the fatted calf, it should be me. But you've done nothing for me. You can kind of hear in the parable, in the tone of voice, that that's probably not true. That the father probably has been an incredible father. That the son has really gone down that rabbit hole of, of works righteousness. That's what the old theologians would call it, where, hey, I do this for you, God, and now you owe me. Hey, I live a pretty good life. I give a percentage of my money. I show up like once a month to church, God, you owe me. There's a little bit of older brother in all of us, isn't it? Older brothers, sin patterns are not as obvious. They are probably not going to walk right up to the father and say, I want your stuff more than you, but that's what they believe in their heart. They still want dad's stuff. And you can almost see the father's heart breaking as he is on the outside of the party trying to convince the older brother to come in. Everything I have is yours. It's always been yours. Why wouldn't you want to celebrate? These people are lost and now they're found. Isn't that worth celebrating? You know, I've been noticing some older brother sin tendencies in my own heart. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the political season we're in. A lot of it has to do with the smartphones that sometimes feel surgically attached to our hand and the echo chamber of voices that remind us that not only are we right, we're so much more right than everybody else. And it starts to kind of feed this older brother mentality where we just, we just judge and we just feel superior and we just ride off of the anger of the moment in our very divided nation. This story does redefine sin. There are actually two ways to be your Lord and Savior. So which one are you? Do a little inventory today. 
usually the, the younger brother is going to be kind of obvious. Are you blatantly rebelling in sin against God? What are you doing that you just know deep down it's just wrong? And if, if that's you, consider for a moment that that will end in a pigsty. It always does. But what about that older brother? Do you see any of that heart in, in your heart? What about those thoughts that come in and say, God, after all I've done for you, I gotta live in 2020? In this broken world, in this pandemic? Can't you just solve this? If I have to wear a mask, one more minute, God, I'm gonna lose it, right? I've been there, guys. I've been stomping mad lately at times. And then I have to remember, God doesn't owe you a thing, Mike, and, and yet he's given you everything. If you're a younger brother today, I hope that you really hear clearly that your heavenly father not only knows you and loves you and forgives you, he runs to you. He embraces you. Who wouldn't want a dad like that? This should be powerfully healing to some of your shame issues, your insecurities, your identity issues. But if you're an older brother today, know that God loves you and forgives me, but it's your choice, not his, to come and join the party and to have a soft heart towards the other brothers in your metaphorical family. You can stay on the outside. I mean, that's kind of the fascinating part of the parable. It's like right when it gets to the point where it's like, well, what happened? It just ends there. Did the older brother come inside? Did he, did he make amends with his younger brother? It would appear he did not. <laughs> and of course, we know the story of the religious leaders who would eventually orchestrate a coup to get this young rabbi named Jesus crucified. It redefines our understanding of God and sin, and it also explains the gospel. The embrace of the Father triggers the repentance. Did you notice that? I mean, it's not the other way around. The Father runs and he embraces this son. He cuts him off in the middle of his big speech, and he changes everything. A lot of us, we get that really mixed up. We think that if we just make it right, if we apologize in the right way, if we, if we earn with uh, a lot of misery our repentance, we do it right, then God will forgive us. But it, it's like God was just waiting for the first glimpse of his son to come on the horizon. And while he was still a long way off, then he comes running towards him. Why would he be running towards him? He doesn't have any faint idea of, of the situation report, does he? It's not like they had email or he shot him a text with his apology speech. He has no idea what the son's going to say. Based on the way he left, he very well might be coming back and saying, I ran out of money for prostitutes. I, I need more, you know? I mean, and yet the father runs to him. And that's how repentance should work. When we feel the embrace of our Heavenly Father, that should 
compel us to change our behavior, not to manipulate him into giving us something or forgiving us. And anybody who's really ever experienced genuine sacrificial love given to them, genuine sacrificial forgiveness offered to them, understands what Jesus is getting at here, understands how powerful a motivation it is when we are embraced, genuinely embraced and loved. The gospel simply means good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ has come to embrace self-destructive and self-reliant people like you and like me. I mean, you don't get more self-destructive than being a younger brother. They blow up everything in their life. Their relationships get blown up. Trust gets blown up. But you don't really get more coldly self-reliant than an older brother. You start to be pretty impressed with your own moral superiority, with your perfectly held worldviews. And, and over time, you're so reliant on just you that you have nothing but contempt for everyone else who doesn't have it together like you. And you forget that there is a Father who loves you. The gospel is he... He's come to embrace both. There is no version of a pigsty too disgusting, no act or sin that you have committed or will commit or have done multiple times in multiple creative ways that God will not look at and with eyes of compassion say, yes, I've come to embrace even you for even that. I'll forgive even that. But there's also no amount of cold, religious, self-righteous superiority that God's embrace won't melt if we let it. The question, though, would be, are we willing to come into the party? Are we willing to come and celebrate that lost people are being found? It's good news for those who embrace Jesus Christ back. Lastly, this story redefines who needs God's forgiving love. Irreligious people need it, like the younger brother. Maybe you are not a church person. You're listening on live, and, and you're thinking, gosh, I don't even know why I'm listening to this sermon. It just came on my Facebook feed, and I, I'm just listening, and I don't, I don't believe in this, but all of a sudden, something is happening in my heart, and I'm an irreligious person, but this seems pretty good. I, I kind of suspect deep, deep down there is a heavenly father who made me and loves me and has a plan for my life. I kind of suspect that, gosh, I, I am made to last forever. That death is not normal and natural and okay. And if, if what the story is saying is true, this heavenly father wants to embrace even me, yes. It's for you, the irreligious people in the story. The self-destructive, pleasure-seeking, younger brothers and sisters among us, it's for you. But it is also for those religious types, the self-reliant, the honor-achieving, the morally superior brothers. We need it just as much, if not more. And, and, and in all reality, human beings are more complicated than just saying, which one are you? Isn't that true? In any given day, you've been a younger brother and an older brother, and so have I. 
while he was a long way off. I want to end just with that thought. That image, if you just in your mind's eye picture what that actually looked like. A patriarch running from his estate to this broken younger brother and just embracing him and stopping him in the middle of his apology speech and saying, just, it's okay. Bring the robe, bring the ring. We're going to have a party. It's, it's going to be okay. Some of us today, that's kind of what we need to hear, isn't it? We need to hear from our Heavenly Father the words, it's going to be okay. It is. It's going to be okay. And that is good news. Let's pray. God, thank you for this redefining story. Thank you that you love us. You're the very best of fathers. Forgive us for our younger brother tendencies to do our own thing, to disobey you, to dishonor you. Forgive us for our older brother tendencies to look down on our fellow brothers and sisters, to be superior then, to be so incredibly right all the time. Free us from both of those dead ends. Lord, would you just through your Holy Spirit embrace every person here who wants to be embraced. For any of us who never committed our life to you and really said, I, I want to be forgiven, I want to be embraced, would they do that? Would you help them to do that? It could be as simple as a quiet, quiet little prayer saying, I want that. I want to be forgiven. I don't want to be a younger brother, an older brother. I just want to be a true son and daughter 